Hello and welcome to Clout, a podcast profiling the journey of Asia-capable Australians. I'm your host, Lucy Du. At Clout Asia, we talk to Aussies from all backgrounds to learn about the dash of language, the pinch of culture, and the blind luck that led them to where they are today. We ask our guests to take us on their journey to Asia capability by sharing their choice of food, song, show, and person to help us understand what being an Aussie with clout is all about. My guest today is James Oswald, an Aussie in Beijing who has had more careers than he's had Farmers Union iced coffee. James, or Jimmy as most friends call him, is a qualified electrician as well as holding a doctorate in Asian studies. Jimmy began his China journey in high school. After being given the opportunity to go on a study tour to Shenzhen, Chengdu, and Beijing in 2007 at university, Jimmy was hooked. Jimmy later worked for China's Central Compilation and Translation Bureau, a Chinese government department which produces official translations of central government documents and literature. Following this, Jimmy joined Washington-headquartered U.S. government relations consulting firm, the Albright-Stonebridge Group, where his role as analyst allowed him to support the practice with editing, analysis, translation, and research across all areas of client interest in the China market. Following this, Jimmy joined Washington-headquartered U.S. government relations consulting firm, the Albright-Stonebridge Group where his role as analyst allowed him to support the practice with editing, analysis, translation, and research across all areas of client research in the China market. And very shortly, Jimmy is going to join massive US company AWS. We asked Jimmy to take us on his journey to Asia capability by nominating a food, a song, a book, and person that help us understand what being an Aussie with clout is all about. Before we get stuck into your nominations for today, I think you'll need to first explain the Farmers Union iced coffee reference and tell us how a kid from Adelaide decided to pick up Chinese in high school and then uni. Lovely to be here today. Thanks for your invitation. Farmers Union iced coffee is a South Australian institution. Not sure if you don't come from Adelaide, you may never have heard of it, but if you're from the area, then you definitely know what it is. It's one of the few drinks in the world that outsells Coke. Only in Adelaide. Only in Adelaide, yeah. Well, all of South Australia. When it came to learning Chinese, I started learning when I was in high school. They offered it, uh, I think, when I was in year eight. And when I went to university later, when I was about 25, I thought, why not pick up Chinese again? Pick up where I left off. I think, you know, the only words I remembered were nihao and hanbaobao. But yeah, <laughs> I built on that and now I'm pretty capable of holding a conversation, holding my own Chinese. Amazing. Let's start with your nomination of food. What have you picked for us today? Okay, this food is called yomian. It's a kind of oat noodles. So yomian is found sort of north of Beijing generally, so in Mongolia, northern Hebei, that kind of region. And the reason I chose it is because it was the most popular dish from the place where I went to uni first in China, which is town called Zhangjiakou. So yeah, anyway, this um, yomian, you can find it in a lot of other places now. In Beijing, there's what's it called? Sibei something, something or other, that northwestern something or other. It's a sort of popular change, mm-hmm. a chain store here. 
and yeah, you can buy yom yen. Otherwise, it's pretty difficult to find, and a lot of people find as well that it's, it's not so good for their stomach. But I really enjoyed it, and especially when you have it with the mushroom broth. It's my favorite food. Yeah, and that was you said something that you had when you first arrived in China or first was living in China. So can you tell us a bit more about those beginnings? I guess the memory is really, really sticks with me because when I went there, I was all by myself. So it's all alone. I went there specifically to learn Chinese. So the idea was to avoid any or as much contact with foreigners as possible so that I could learn the language through immersion. So yeah, Jandakao holds a very special place in my heart as, you know, a lot of joy and a lot of frustration. It brings up very, very strong memories in me every time I eat it. Especially the, um, so you get this uh, kind of noodles called yomian wawa, and it's served in a bamboo basket, kind of like the basket that you get dumplings in. And the noodles are kind of in the shape of a beehive, I guess. And so you pull it out with your chopsticks and dunk it in your mushroom broth and uh, mix it around. And yeah, a lot, of, a lot of memories, a lot of good times, a lot of bad times. But yeah, it formed the whole foundation for my stay in China. If it wasn't for that one year, Studying Chinese in Jiangjiakou, I don't think I would have gone as far as I have today. Yeah, amazing. Well, we'll definitely put a link to the Yomian and Yomian Wawa in the show notes. Well, in China, as you probably know, often the strongest bonds are either formed over the dinner table, over the restaurant table, or at a dingy karaoke room. So tell us about the song that you have chosen today. The song that I've chosen today is by Zhou Huajian, and it's called uh, Pangyo. So I remember when I first moved over here, so it would have been late 2007, probably before I went to Zhangjiakou, and yeah, I was really introduced to this kind of scene in China where you go out and you have your dinner, have a few drinks, and then move on to the karaoke bar and then sing for the rest of the night. And this song would come up every time that we went out to karaoke. I think from memory, it was played a lot during high school graduation ceremonies. So it was kind of the Chinese equivalent of Green Day's Time of Your Life. The thing about it was, it doesn't matter who you're singing with. If people walk past and they see you're singing this, they want to join in. And so <laughs> yeah. the last time we were singing it, yeah, we started with about four or five people. And then before you know it, there's 20 people on the stage all arm in arm singing Pangyal. So yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's have a listen. Let's go to your book nomination. What have you picked for us today? Okay, so the book that I've chosen is Lin Yutang's The Importance of Living. This book was first lent to me by my first lecturer in Asian studies, uh, Dr. Jerry Groot. And it was this book that I think it really kind of introduced me to Chinese culture, especially kind of the, the Chinese philosophy on living. 
one of the beautiful things about it is Lin Yutang was, uh, his English was superb and his Chinese was superb. And he had a really good understanding of both Chinese and English culture and the literature traditions. So he has a really interesting perspective on the Chinese perspective on Western life, but also can kind of see Chinese culture from a Western perspective. A lot of these philosophical ideas I've learned from Lin Yutang's books, and it really piques my interest in Chinese mm. culture. Can you perhaps give us an example? Sure. Can you just hold us? I've actually got the book here, so I can maybe even do like a, a read a little bit. Great. Okay, so this is a little bit from Chapter 7, The Importance of Loafing. So it's part two of this chapter called The Chinese Theory of Leisure. I'll just read uh, maybe the first paragraph just to give you an idea. The American is known as a great hustler, as the Chinese is known as a great loafer. And as all opposites admire each other, I suspect that the American hustler admires the Chinese loafer as much as the Chinese loafer admires the American hustler. Such things are called the charms of national traits. I do not know if eventually the West and the East will meet. The plain fact is that they are meeting now and are going to meet more and more closely as modern civilization spreads with the increase of communication facilities. At least in China, we're not going to defy this machine civilization. And there, the problem will have to be worked out as to how we are going to merge these two cultures, the ancient Chinese philosophy of life and the modern technological civilization, and integrate them into a sort of working way of life. The question is very much more problematical as to Occidental life ever being invaded by Oriental philosophy, although no one would dare to prophesy. Yeah, so you see these kinds of words written in, uh, I think it was maybe the 1920s or 1930s. 1920s, wow. <laughs> Still quite relevant today, huh? Absolutely. Incredible. We'll add this book to our notes as well. Yeah, 1937, um, was 1937. Yeah. And Mr. Ling was, spent a bit of time in the West as well, you said? Yeah, I think he wrote this book in New York. But, yeah, he grew up in China. Um, so, yeah, he's a very interesting character, actually. He invented the first Chinese typewriter. Wow. And, uh, and yeah, actually, he invested all of his money in it and it sent him bankrupt. And do you think the book, apart from helping you become more interested in Chinese culture, did it have any significance in terms of your later personal and professional experiences in China? Hard to say, I guess, when uh, by the time that I was, I'd moved to China, it had already been a couple of years by that stage from when I'd read the book to when I started living in China. But yeah, I mean, I think these things always do have a kind of influence on you. And I did become interested for a time in Chinese philosophy. And I think this book did go a long way to sort of generating that interest in the first place. Well, finally, who have you chosen today as a person you consider to have great clout? The person that I've chosen, and it was been so many people, but probably the one who had the biggest influence on me was one of my first Chinese teachers at university, um, Associate Professor Shenlin Song, or Song Shenlin. And when I was at second year university, she was my Chinese teacher. And what happened was, you know, I decided that I wanted to move to China and learn Chinese. And uh, she said, if you go to PKU or if you go to Tsinghua University, You'll end up uh, hanging out with other Laois and, uh, you know, drinking in old alcohol. And while it'll be fun, it probably won't be the best environment for learning Chinese. So if you really want to learn Chinese, she suggested go to Zhangjiakou and spend a year there and immerse yourself in the language and culture. Um, so it was on her kind of recommendation that I took the leap. <laughs> it ended up being probably one of the 
yeah, one of the greatest experiences of my life. I mean, it wasn't all fun. It was very hard at times, especially the winter. You get the minus mm. 20 there coming from Adelaide where it never goes below zero. It was a bit of a shock, but it really did wonders for my Chinese. When I came out of Jandakol in 2009, I was able to hold my own in conversations, no problem at all. And I've been living in China for, for five years, so almost six years now. So yeah, that's all thanks to her encouragement. So the one person who's really had the biggest impact and who's on my China life would have been Dr. Song for sure. Yeah, incredible. And to have that sponsorship and encouragement from someone to push you or nudge you perhaps to where you are today. Yeah, absolutely. We still catch up from time to time. Pre-COVID, she used to come quite often. We'd catch up and hang out. And so, yeah, she's definitely one of those people when it comes career-wise who's really responsible for a lot of my successes that I've enjoyed over the years. Yeah, sounds great. Well, thank you, Jimmy, for today. It's been great.